Joining the podcast today is State Representative Matthew Wilson. He is a representative for House District 80 in the Brookhaven area that includes parts of Fulton and DeKalb counties. And Representative Wilson is also a Democratic candidate for State Insurance Commissioner, a statewide office that will be on your ballot in the 2022 elections. Representative Wilson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kyle. It's great to be with you. So uh, before we get into your campaign, for those who may be getting introduced to you on the show today, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah. Uh, So um, I currently serve in the state house. I am serving my second term. I was first elected in 2018. Um, We we flipped our district uh, from red to blue um, and uh, have been reelected uh, in, in 2020. And I'll tell you, I am a Georgia boy kind of through and through. I was born and raised here. I grew up in Griffin, which is about an hour and a half South of Atlanta. And, uh, you know, grew up in a working class family. My dad had a brief stint in law enforcement and then, uh, uh, had a career as a car mechanic. My mom was a respiratory therapist at the hospital. Um, you know, very blue collar family. Um, but, our, our our whole family dynamic really changed at when my twin sister and I were really young. I think we were in kindergarten. We came home from school one day and found out my dad had been injured um, on the job. He fell down a flight of stairs and broke his neck and his back and was permanently disabled for uh, the rest um, the rest of his life, never able to work again. And uh, we didn't fully understand what was going on at the time, but because we were so young. But we did know that all of a sudden we had a stay-at-home dad who had a lot of medical issues. My mom had to work night shifts at the hospital just to kind of provide for us. So that very much kind of defined uh, my upbringing um, in Griffin. Fortunately, because of our workers' comp uh, system here in Georgia and because of Social Security disability insurance, our family was sort of able to get by. My mom was able to get us through school um, and on to college. My sister and I both took advantage of the Hope Scholarship, and I am a double dog. I have both my um, bachelor's and law degree from UGA. Uh, I'll tell you very quickly that between college and law school, I did a program called Teach for America, which I'm sure many of your listeners will be familiar with. I taught middle school, uh, sixth grade math and science in Houston, Texas, and it was right after Hurricane Katrina. So actually, a lot of my students were from New Orleans. Um, which was a whole nother uh, set of issues to deal with, um, but learned a tremendous amount from that experience. And it only kind of uh, reignited my desire to come back to Georgia, go to law school, um, get into the practice of law and get more involved directly in politics and Georgia politics. So I moved back. I volunteered on Roy Barnes 2010 campaign when he was running against Nathan Deal for governor and uh, as I was applying to law school, uh, of course, we know how that race ended. So off to law school, I went and uh, came back. I've been practicing law for uh, seven years now. I have my own personal injury practice in Brookhaven now um, and uh, and am grateful for the opportunity to serve uh, in the state house. 
So you, I guess, especially as you mentioned, having uh, been involved in the Barnes campaign in 2010, you've probably been exposed to a theme that we've talked about a lot on this show is the changing Republican Party since the days of the, the early 2010s to the, the party that we've seen today. And, you know, I, as I mentioned in the intro, you're running for insurance commissioner, and I, I want to come back to the details of that here in a second. But I'd like to start with the state of the two parties in Georgia. A significant portion of the Republican Party in our state today appears organized around President Trump's loss in Georgia in 2020, around conspiracy theories about election fraud, and at a minimum, Republican opposition to the idea that regulations on voting should be designed in a way to make it easy and convenient to participate in our democracy. And Democrats have responded in kind by supporting voting rights expansions at the federal level and and criticizing efforts that make it more difficult to vote here in Georgia. What have you learned about Georgia Republicans in the last nine months or so as they've elevated these voter fraud conspiracy theories and backed new state laws that on balance, at least in my own view, make it more difficult to vote here in Georgia? Well, I don't think it is putting it too bluntly or um, an exaggeration to say that unfortunately, at the state level, we have one party that wants to govern and the other party that just wants to pander uh, to a base that is convinced of the big lie. And it's very frustrating for me as a legislator when I'm on the House floor, I'm talking to Republican colleagues who I have a good relationship with. Um, and they say, you know, I say, why, why are you, um, you know, why did you say uh, what you said, um, you know, about the election? Why are you continuing to support this? Why are you pushing this out on your social media? And they say, well, you know, I don't believe this, but I'll get killed in my, in my party if, if I stick my neck out on this. And when you have a whole party that says that and no one in the party who is willing to actually stand up and say, no, we have we have laws here in Georgia and they were followed there. This Georgia had the most investigated election ever in the history of this country. No election has been investigated uh, with um, a finer tooth comb uh, or more times than than our a 2020 election was. And yet, uh, you know, we continue to have, uh, you know, re- Republicans at the state level who who will not tell their voters um, the truth. And it's incredibly dangerous. It's frustrating because our system was set up to be a two party system. And when you when you only have one party that actually wants to govern and participate in the democratic process, it makes it very very difficult, but we can't stop. Yeah. The the reason that I start there when you're running for a position in state insurance commissioner that has virtually no authority over voting laws (laughs) is I've been dwelling on this question of whether or not this embrace of an anti-democracy kind of politics is really confined simply to Republican primary fights, fights on conservative media, conservative fundraising, things like that or whether or not there are downstream impacts to embracing this kind of politics on the way Republican officials govern when they are elected. And so I I was curious of your view on this. Do you think that this trend towards this anti-democracy politics has had any impact on the way you've seen Republicans govern at the state legislature? Oh, for sure. You know, 
it is, um, you know, considering what we're dealing with with COVID right now, um, I, I, I probably shouldn't use this analogy, but it very much is a is a virus. This big lie is a virus that in, has infected the Republican Party, and it just infects everything that we try to do um, under the gold dome. Everything is painted through um, and seen through this lens of of the big lie and uh, and and whether you know the former president would look favorably on a particular policy or not. And it sucks up all the oxygen um, to where we can't actually do just the normal everyday stuff that the legislature is supposed to be taking care of. Um, one thing that um, I was glad to see actually uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, a lot of the mental health advocates did a big press conference at the Capitol and um, uh, tried to take uh, advantage of an opportunity that, that they saw when the speaker announced that he wanted to spend at least a good chunk of the 2022 legislative session on mental health care in Georgia, you know, trying to, and I think the speaker to his credit from time to time has tried to pull his party back into the lane of governing since they are the party in, in charge, but, but, you know, allowing, um, allowing the big lie to persist, it really just cuts through everything. I have noticed it in the insurance commissioner race already. Um, we, you know, we are, uh, what, uh, four months into this, into this race um, and certainly far away from the general election, but the, uh, I, I saw an AJC article just a week or two ago that, was talking about the insurance commissioner race after Jim Beck was convicted and mentioned that the acting commissioner and now the, the full-time commissioner, John King, um, is running for um, election uh, to insurance commissioner. And his campaign emails, <laughs> none of them have said anything about insurance. They're all about the quote-unquote border crisis, um, you know, uh, that you know, Democrats aren't patriotic enough um, they're not American enough. Um, and, and, and that unfortunately is what you see on the other side in these, uh, races, no matter what the office is. And it's not just secretary of state. It's not just governor. It's every office, um, that they feel they have to pander to this big lie. And meanwhile, um, you know, the actual, uh, governing that we should be talking about, the, the issues that Georgians actually care about and that will actually impact um, their lives, we don't have the oxygen to talk about it. So we've got to continue to fight and push back against, against this because um, I don't think it's putting it too mildly to say our democracy truly depends on it. So to turn here to you know your vision for the insurance commissioner office, you said in your launch video, that over the past 25 years, Georgia insurance commissioners have been bought and paid for by the companies that the office is supposed to regulate. Can you give us your vision of what a more consumer-focused insurance commissioner looks like and how that approach would define what you would do as Georgia's insurance commissioner? Quite simply, it's putting Georgians first. 
right? The insurance commissioner's office is a, you know, it's a traditional regulatory office, statewide regulatory office. It was designed to be the chief consumer advocate for the state of Georgia. Um, and, you know, the, we refer to it as the insurance commissioner. Um, the, the office has actually got a lot more broad um, regulatory authority than just insurance. It's the uh, commissioner of insurance and safety fire. Uh, and, um, and there's also uh, elevators and amusement park rides thrown in there as well. Um, but, uh, but as far as insurance goes, it's, we're talking about all kinds of insurance, auto, health, life, business insurance, cyber insurance, every form of insurance that is sold in the state of Georgia um, is, is governed by uh, our insurance laws. And it's the job of the insurance commissioner to ensure that the companies are, the insurance companies are abiding by those laws, that they are, uh, that our insurance market in Georgia is stable and that means that people have access to insurance, that the insurance is actually delivering what it says it's supposed, it, it claims to deliver, um, and that it is being um, administered. And when I, when I say administered, I mean that claims, um, when, they're, when claims are made against the insurance policies, that they're being um, dealt with in an efficient and, and effective uh, manner. And, um, you know, I, I do say that for the last 25 years, we've had Republican insurance commissioner after commissioner after commissioner who've been bought and paid for. And I think that, you know, if you just do a quick Google search, uh, the results will pan this out. Our last elected insurance commissioner from 2018, Jim Beck, is on his way to jail uh, right now because of his corruption. Um, and uh, all you have to, for anyone who's lived in Georgia, uh, as long as I have or is older than me, you mentioned the name John Oxendine, and everybody's got a story about how corrupt he was as insurance commissioner. Um, we've had a history of commissioners who have come from the in insurance industry um, or have won their campaign by pitching themselves to the insurance commission, uh, insurance industry. Um, and, and, um, and so that's where all their campaign money has come from. Uh, and what we have gotten are commissioners who who work solely for the insurance companies. And that is the exact opposite of what the office is designed uh, to be. And so the result of that is for 25 years, we've we've really not had a consumer advocate looking out for Georgians. And so we've had these runaway premium increases. Georgia, uh, year after year, has had some of the top um, the, some of the highest premium increases just in auto insurance uh, because we've had commissioners who've just been rubber stamping the premium increases, not, not looking at what are these premiums actually based on? Uh, are, they, are they justified? Um, and uh, you know, we've also had commissioners who have refused to expand Medicaid, even though all of the experts agree it is the most common sense, most financially responsible, uh, most uh, you know morally responsible thing uh, for Georgia to do, and would create it would actually create money uh, revenue for our budget and create new jobs in Georgia, um, but but because the big moneyed interests don't want it, uh, 
you know, it hasn't been a priority. So I'm running because I'm not from the insurance industry. I'm a trial lawyer uh, who, if you don't mind me putting it bluntly, I sue insurance companies for a living. Um, when auto insurance uh, companies and health insurance companies aren't delivering on the promises of their policies, uh, the only recourse is to take them to court. And a most of the clients that I represent are uh, clients who were in um, a car accident or some other type of personal injury where they were injured through no fault of their own. And oftentimes we have to go to court, uh, take the insurance companies to court in order to get uh, them to cover um, you know, this, this, the medical treatment that my clients uh, had to have. And so I've seen, I've seen the ways that uh, the insurance companies in Georgia try to wiggle out of uh, actually delivering um, in, on their policies. And I've seen the way that the insurance commissioner, uh, the commissioner's office has not been a resource for consumers, is, is not there. These insurance companies are able to to get away with their behavior because they know that the commissioner's office is not going to hold them accountable. And so having a consumer uh, friendly commissioner means someone who's going to stand up for Georgians um, uh, as opposed to the big, the big insurance companies um, like I've been doing my whole career. How much of the role of insurance commissioner do you think should be a public facing or a public messaging type role. You mentioned Medicaid expansion in, in your response. It's largely been the decision by Georgia governors and the Georgia legislature to continue to refuse the Affordable Care Act's Medicaid expansion. We'll talk here in a moment about some other healthcare proposals that are being pursued by the governor's office. You talked about kind of the regulatory role that the insurance commissioner's office has, but to some extent, you're sort of acting downstream from the laws passed by the legislature, the policies adopted by the legislature, governing health insurance options or auto insurance, or, you know, I guess in some ways, the way in which much of Atlanta in particular relies on automobiles to get around and auto insurance is just a key and necessary part of people's calculus and in how they do something basic like transportation. How much do you think the role of insurance commissioner should be maybe a public messaging one to try to change people's opinions around these issues that you have kind of an indirect oversight over? I think it definitely should be much more public facing than it has been in, uh, you know, over the last three decades. Um, and, we recognize that a big part of my campaign has to be education because, uh, you know, um, for so many Georgians, they just haven't been here. Uh, they haven't lived here when we've had a pro-consumer insurance commissioner who was, you know, in the news talking about um, uh, issues uh, with the with the office. But, um, you know, and a big part of of the office certainly relies on the legislature for, you know, to pass, to pass uh, laws. Um, and if we're going to expand, uh, fully expand Medicaid, that's going to have to go through um, the legislature. Um, obviously, there are uh, statutory, um, uh, you know, changes that we want, um, that, that we want to make and that need to be made through the legislature. 
But the insurance commissioner, unlike a lot of the other statewide positions, um, has an incredible amount of oversight authority and investigative authority with insurance companies that I don't think the average consumer uh, fully understands or, or appreciates. The insurance commissioner can basically can go to any insurance company that underwrites policy in Georgia and, and say, okay, open up your books. I want to see what is what policies are you offering? Um, are they fair? How are you charging premiums? What are they based on? Um, one of the things we know is that there are premiums in Georgia based on, let, let, let's just take auto insurance, for example. Um, we know that there are companies in Georgia charging premiums based on nothing to do with uh, a, a policyholder's driver history. Things like, uh, what is your race? Things like, what is, uh, where, do you live in an apartment or do you pay a mortgage? Things like, what, where do you live? What's your zip code? Do you have someone who lives in your house who has ever been in a car accident? What does that have to do with whether or not you can drive safely on Georgia roads? It has nothing to do with that, but it is a, it is a way that insurance companies have found that they can increase premiums um, uh, uh, on consumers. The commissioner has the, the authority to open up the books of the insurance companies and, and look and actually see what those premiums are based on. And if they are being administered unfairly, has the ability to, um, to change that, uh, to force a change, um, and also the ability, obviously, to go to the legislature and have it uh, uh, written into state law. Um, so there is, uh, there is a lot of, of room. You know, unfortunately, the Republicans have for 25 years just kind of starved this office and have refused to use the power of the office to actually benefit consumers. There is so much um, uh, uh, potential um, for how we can better the lives of Georgians. If we can just get someone in there who's actually gonna be, gonna be looking out um, for Georgians. And I'll, I'll say one other thing um, uh, and then I'll stop talking, but it, it's actually interesting to me that the policies um, for how we lower insurance premiums, for example, how we increase access to healthcare in Georgia, all of these things are not really disputed along party lines within the context of the insurance commissioner's race. If you look at this race from, from 2018 and compare the platforms of the, the two party candidates, they're very similar. And that's because when you get down to it, the insurance commissioner's race is about pocketbook issues. We're not arguing over, um, you know, like, like we talked about earlier over election law. Um, we're, we're not arguing over uh, over the partisan issues that sort of dominate our political discourse from day to day, the insurance commissioner uh, and, and the commissioner's office are focused on just day to day pocketbook issues, affordability, access to health care, access to insurance um, for not just individuals, but also small businesses. Um, and, 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 when you talk to, to Georgians, those things don't cut across um, or don't fall along party lines. Those are things that we can all agree on. Um, saving money is better and having access to health care and insurance is better.
Turning back to Medicaid expansion here, the, the fight over Medicaid expansion has gone on for so long in the state that I think voters could be forgiven if they've really forgotten what the stakes are when it comes to this question. You've made this a central part of your campaign, as a lot of Democrats have. Why does Georgia need to expand Medicaid and what has been the impact of the refusal to do so, particularly in this last 18 months when we've lived through a global pandemic? The the pandemic has really put on full display why we have have to fully expand Medicaid in Georgia. So Georgia has one of the highest uninsured rates in the whole country. We have about 12% of our uh, population that does not have health insurance. And, um, you know, that's bad for a lot of different reasons. Obviously, it's not good for the, the uninsured uh, population because it, it limits their access to healthcare. Obviously, if they are in an emergency and go to um, a hospital, they're going to be treated. But we all know that healthcare is a lot more than just access to an ER. There's a lot of preventative care um, that, that we all need just as human beings, and especially when it comes uh, uh, to, to children. Um, and so uh, it's, it's bad from their standpoint for not having access to that ongoing health care. It's also bad for the rest of us who do have health insurance because all of the studies show that, that because we have a population so high, uh, an uninsured population that is so high, it raises the rates um, and the cost put on all the rest of the insured population through not just through insurance premiums, but also through, through taxes, through government taxes that we have to pay. We have an opportunity by fully expanding Medicaid to take a big chunk of the the uninsured population and give them health insurance and have it paid for um, out of taxes that we have already sent to DC. So right now, um, and, and thanks in large part to all the hard work that Senator Warnock has been spearheading along with uh, uh, Senator Ossoff, the federal incentives for, for the uh, last remaining states to fully expand Medicaid are, are so um, sweet right now that if we took advantage of those and gave these 500,000 Georgians uh, uh, Medicaid coverage, not only would we be able to fully pay for that, for their, their health insurance, but we would also, Georgia would net $700 million and add 64,000 jobs. Um, so this would actually be a revenue enhancing uh, action uh, that our state leaders um, can take. But, um, you know, and, and there, we can do it at the state level uh, or we or, you know, Senator Warnock is obviously working on a uh, on a workaround um, at the federal level um, uh, to, to get these folks insured, because like I said, all of the studies and all of the experts agree that um, to to allow this uninsured population to persist is only going to cost all of us more money in the long term, not to mention the, the humanitarian ramifications um, that it says about us and what our values are. So you've pushed for a vote on Medicaid expansion to be a part of the special legislative set special legislative session expected in November. 
when y'all get back together to redraw districts now that we have the once in a decade census figures available to do that. Um, can you give us an update on this push? Will Medicaid expansion be on the agenda for the special session later this year? I can't say uh, yes or no to that um, because we haven't seen the call for the special session yet. Um, so um, just so we're all on the same page, Georgia law, in our, and I, actually it's in our constitution, makes it very clear that um, it's the governor who calls for a special session. And when he makes, when he issues that call, he actually sets the agenda for the special session. So if we're in a normal legislative session like we'll have uh, in January, we can take up any issue um, that we as legislators deem appropriate. However, a special session is different, it's special. We can only, we are confined to the call that the governor issues to the agenda items that he puts in there. And so you saw uh, recently, obviously we know redistricting is gonna be a part of that that's that's uh, that's something that we have to get done. The question is, what else is going to be on the list? And you saw uh, uh, a month or so ago, uh, the governor and the speaker and the lieutenant governor um, all said that they want public safety to be included in the special session. Um, obviously, um, uh, you know, and and they mentioned uh, perhaps some budget changes um, amendments. Um, to, to provide additional funding for, for public safety. So um, I rallied our Democratic colleagues in the House and the Senate, and you know we issued a public a letter and a public call uh, to the governor to say, okay, look, if we're, if we're adding things to the list for special session, there is no other priority um, greater than Medicaid expansion right now. Uh, let's put that on the list so we can have this debate, because right now, um, over over the last few months, we've seen this play out uh, between, you know, Governor Kemp and the Biden administration. And, and we've seen um, Senator Warnock and Senator Ossoff's uh, uh, efforts um, in Congress, uh, because uh, we're not trying to bore your listeners too much, but. Uh, or getting the weeds too much on this, but obviously Governor Kemp um, issued his two uh, waivers when uh, uh, the Trump administration was still in power and tried to push those through in the last few days of the Trump administration. Meanwhile, uh, Biden was sworn in and we have a new Democratic administration that looks very differently on Governor Kemp's waiver proposals and it looks at it through a lens of, is this the most efficient way to get more healthcare and better healthcare um, uh, access to more Georgians? Uh, Secretary Becerra was here uh, just a few weeks ago and I participated in a round table with him. And he said, we are going to look at every waiver request through that lens. Is this the uh, most efficient, uh, most affordable way to get better healthcare and more healthcare access to more Georgians. And <laughs> we can all say, no, it is not, because, uh, because Governor Kemp's waiver proposals don't call for a full Medicaid uh, expansion. So, so look, we're, by allowing the governor to continue to um, uh, uh, you know, go after this, this waiver, that um, this partial expansion of Medicaid, we're leaving 
millions and millions of, of dollars, federal dollars that, by the way, we've already paid them. They're our tax money um, uh, on the table. Uh, we're leaving the potential to uh, boost our, our state revenue, um, create more jobs. We're leaving all that on the table, not to mention uh, uh, health care coverage for uh, nearly half a million uh, Georgians. So we just can't allow the situation to persist any longer. Now is the time to act. And that's why we issued our call um, to the governor. And um, he still hasn't issued his call for the special session yet. So um, we're, we're continuing that pressure because we want Medicaid expansion included in that call. So you mentioned these waivers from Governor Kemp to the federal government. And for our listeners here, these are two of the biggest health policy questions going on in the state of Georgia right now. There's one that deals with the Medicaid program, which is a program primarily aimed at serving Georgians with low incomes and and providing health coverage to them. There's a separate piece of this that deals with the private health insurance market, and particularly with people who buy insurance on an individual basis because they either don't get it through their work or don't get it if they're elderly through Medicare or some other kind of healthcare program. And so the governor, one of these waivers that the governor has put forward is a proposal that would stop people from purchasing individual market insurance on the Affordable Care X marketplace known as healthcare.gov. And another outcome of this proposal that the governor has offered would basically limit the existence of some of the financial assistance that is there to help people buy health coverage if they're buying it on an individual basis. Um, This is a a proposal, as you alluded to, that is currently sort of stuck in the middle between Governor Kemp's office and the federal government and the Biden administration. Um, But I was interested in your view of this proposal and what the impacts of it would be if it was to go into effect, particularly in this lens of of, uh, advocating on behalf of consumers who would be purchasing some of these plans that you as insurance commissioner would have a role in regulating. What do you make of kind of the approach put forward by Governor Kemp and what that means for consumers? It's really, um, I, I'm trying to think of a way to put this mildly, but it's, 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 it's really a bad plan. It's really a bad plan. It, it is, it is taken a good premise of a reinsurance program and then has perverted that <laughs> um, in order to fragment the insurance market and make it more confusing uh, for Georgia consumers to actually purchase insurance. Um, so l- let me take a step step back for, for a moment. Um, the reinsurance idea is a good one. Um, basically what this does is um, it is insurance um, on insurance. And we have seen this used in other states, Alaska most notably, um, where where if you have a, um, uh, you look at the big insurance pool, and if you have a, a smaller group within that pool of people who are making a lot of claims on their insurance because they have, um, uh, uh, you know, certain medical conditions that require a lot of medical treatment, things like cancer, or kidney disease, um, uh, require regular routine visits um, and and often regular emergency care, uh, for example. Those those, 
uh, um, people are very expensive for insurance companies because they have to pay out a lot more than just regular uh, people who just have sort of your run of the mill uh, uh, medical needs. So a reinsurance program says, okay, we're going to take we're going to take this small group of high, of high needs, high high demand um, uh, people, put them in another pool, and then and then put insurance um, on top of this. That idea in and of, in, in and of itself is a good idea, and is something that Georgia should pursue because it ultimately reduces the price and the cost of insurance for everybody, um, including the government. That's a good idea, but what? Uh, Governor Kemp has done in his 1332 waiver, state innovation waiver, is basically take that good idea and then add a lot of other perverse things on on top of it. Um, things like uh, Georgia would opt out of the marketplace, healthcare.gov, um, uh, uh, the marketplace, the federal marketplace um, that was created under the um, ACA. Um, and <laughs> The question then becomes, okay, well, then where are Georgians going to purchase insurance if the state is going to provide the marketplace? And the federal government has asked this to Governor Kemp um, and and the state leaders who are pursuing this waiver. And they've said, well, we haven't quite figured that out yet. We haven't set it up. We're not sure. We'll let you know. Um, uh, But we know that um, we know that this also opens the door for insurance companies to offer what we call junk policies that are, you know, deceptive because they, they're offered really, really cheap. Um, and, and for, uh, you know, for consumers who are kind of on the fringes and just trying to afford insurance, um, they may not uh, necessarily have the wherewithal to actually look at all the policies and compare them or, or may not even have the, the, the choice or feel like they have the choice to pick between multiple plans of insurance. Um, uh, many feel I'm, I've just got to take the, the cheapest one because then I will still have, have insurance. So I'll have protection. Right. Unfortunately, what we've seen is, is uh, this opens the door for insurance companies to offer these junk policies that are deceptive because they are so cheap. Um, and the reason why they're so cheap is because when the time comes to make a claim on that policy, i.e. when the person needs medical treatment, the policy actually doesn't cover very much, if anything at all. And then, and then the consumer um, has really paid for a service that they're not getting at all. Um, and that's not going to move Georgia in a good place. That's not actually fixing the problem. That's only creating more problems uh, for our population. And it, it ultimately just drives up the cost uh, uh, of insurance and, and health and healthcare, um, uh, you know, for everyone, for everyone in our state. So, um, I think, uh, that's why you've seen the back and forth between the Kemp administration and the Biden administration. They're trying to get the bad portions of that waiver taken out. Um, uh, uh, um, and we'll see as that, that continues. Um, but, you know, it would be it would certainly be helpful if if we had some state leaders um, right now who would actually advocate for Georgia consumers, um, put these issues in the limelight, and talk about why we need to expand insurance um, uh, affordability and accessibility uh, across across the state. Um, you know, another thing that we haven't we haven't talked about. 
Um, and I'll just briefly mention um, for the sake of time, though, is, you know, one of the other things that we've seen play out over the last decade is the impact this has had to our state economy in, in the form of uh, the rural hospital uh, closures that we've seen. We've had, you know, more than a dozen rural hospitals close over the last uh, 10 plus years, 10 to 12 years, simply because um, of, of healthcare costs. If, if a patient is coming in not covered by a health insurance program that is going to reimburse the hospital for the medical treatment um, and, and, the, and the hospital is forced to go after that individual for repayment, um, you know, nine times out of 10, they're not going to get repaid for that service. And there's only so much a hospital can go into debt. A charity hospital can go into debt um, year after year after year. And so we've seen many of these hospitals shut down. And I'll point that out because the impact isn't just to that individual community. You know, I, I, um, I grew up in Griffin. My mom worked at Spalding Regional Hospital for 40 years. And uh, we were very uh, privileged to have access to a quality hospital, um, you know, right in our, in our backyards. But the other thing is those hospitals are usually the number one employer, not just in the county where they sit, but in the, in the entire region, uh, all the counties that surround it. That certainly is true of Spalding Regional and Griffin, uh, but many of these other rural hospitals that have shut down, the impact has been felt, felt across the region um, in the state and, and our state economy has taken, has taken a hit, hit as well. So these are, these are issues that don't just affect individual Georgians' pocketbooks, but ultimately affect the health of our state economy. And we need um, progressive champions at the state level who are going to talk about this. Well, listeners, we appreciate you jumping down into the weeds with us on a lot of this discussion. Um, as we move towards wrapping up here, I wanted to shift focus a little bit. And as I understand it, if you were to become Georgia's insurance commissioner, you'd be the first openly LGBTQ statewide official elected to a political office, not just in Georgia, but across the South. Um, through the platform you currently have as a state representative, you've also fought to ban a practice known as conversion therapy that targets LGBTQ minors. Um, if you're elected statewide, what would that representation mean to you personally? And, and what do you think it means for people who are LGBTQ in our state? Well, I think it's time that our state leadership reflected the diversity of our great state. Um, uh you know, and I have been proud to serve as one of the seven um, out legislators. Um, uh, when I was elected in 2018, uh, there were five of us in this past cycle. We added uh, Representative Marvin Lim and State Senator uh, Kim Jackson. Um, so now we have seven out legislators um, at the Gold Dome. And, you know, we have seen just in my three years under the Gold Dome, I've seen uh, the change in the legislature, just the impact it has by being in the room um, on our colleagues, on, on what bills actually get heard. Um, one of the things I'm most proud of is the fight that we um, have led the last several years, but in particular this year, fighting against these anti-trans uh, student athlete bills um, and, and the bills that would uh, target doctors who provide um, therapy to uh, trans kids. Um, you know, 
because the seven of us are there, we were able to effectively push back those bills. And um, other than the one in the, in the state Senate that uh, had a vote in the committee, none of those bills moved. They did not come to the floor for a vote. And, and, that, uh, and that was intentional. That is because we are there. That is because of the relationships that we've been able to build and, um, uh, you know, and the truth that we're able to speak to. And so, um, you know, I think it's time that our state statewide leadership reflects that diversity as well. That certainly includes LGBTQ folks. And I'm proud to bring that diversity to the statewide ticket. Um, I think that that we as a state are stronger when we were when we reflect our diversity. That's why I'm proud to be a Democrat. I'm proud of the diversity of our party and our our party's emphasis on diversity. Um, and we're going to continue uh, you know, to run an open campaign and talk about these issues because they certainly are important and they do have an impact. I appreciate you coming on the show and covering a lot of ground today. Um, before we go, are there any other issues you'd like to touch on? No, just, just I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be with y'all. And I would just encourage everyone uh, who wants to learn more about me or my campaign to visit our website at matthewforgeorgia.com. That's all spelled out. And I would uh, uh, say now is the time to, to get involved in the 2022 um, election cycle. It's coming up faster uh, than we anticipate. All right. Well, State, Rep- State Representative Matthew Wilson, he's a Democratic candidate for insurance commissioner. That's a race that's going to be on your primary ballot next summer. I believe that's probably next May. And then it'll be on the general election ballot next November. Matthew Wilson, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into Peach Pod. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Peach Pod on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, take care, y'all.